Hello and welcome to The Shortlist, the official podcast of the Federation of Bloodstock Agents in Australia, which we all know is a regulatory body put in place to look after all things bloodstock in Australia, to make sure clients are represented, to make sure all bloodstock dealings are above board and to a high standard. This is a podcast designed to educate and inform people in racing, people in breeding, people in all aspects of the industry as to what goes on at the Federation and in the world of bloodstock. I am your host, Mick Sharkey, and I'm joined today by two doyens of the bloodstock game in Australia, Mr. Brett Howard from the Randwick Bloodstock Agency and Mr. Adrian Hancock from Hancock Quality Bloodstock. Gentlemen, hello. Thanks for joining me. Hello, Mick. Hello, Brett. Good morning, Mick. Good morning, Adrian. Uh, thanks for the introduction, Mick. Uh, a doyen. How would you describe a doyen? An expert, I think. I think it isn't the definition sort of an expert, a leader in the field, a, a thought shaper, somebody who's been doing it for a long time. I think you both fit that category, don't you? I was hoping you wouldn't use the word old, so that's, I suppose... That's yeah, I'll try not to, yeah. <laughs> I don't know if that's a compliment or not, but anyway, it is. It's, it's fact. Mm. A long time. Experienced, we'll say, gentlemen. Uh, we're recording this in late July, and at this time of year, I think most people in in the bloodstock game are thinking towards the breeding season. It's fast approaching, six or so weeks away. Uh, if mares haven't been booked uh, to stallions, it's that, I guess, that last minute look around and, and profiling of a mare to line up with a particular stallion. Both of you gentlemen have a long and successful history with planning matings and advising breeders about the best way forward for their mares. I wanted to talk today about the art form of mating analysis and mating planning. And, and I thought it'd be a good time to start to, there'd be listeners that probably haven't decided where to go for their mares this year. So why not tag into a, a couple of Federation members and get some free advice? <laughs> so they might even give you a call and be able to help, you might be able to help them out in the, uh, in the coming weeks. But uh, Brett, I'll start with you first. Can you just explain the process involved with with planning and mating for a mare? Is it as simple as saying, well, I've got a mare here called Rosie's Girl and I want to send it to the best stallion, uh, ring up the stud and, and send it off to not a single doubt, capitalist schnitzel. Is it as simple as that? Uh, it's, 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 it depends on the... I said, look, I suppose it depends on the, on the individual client. Uh, it's like anything. I think the more, the more homework you do with, on your matings, uh, the better the results uh, that you'll achieve. So, yeah, the more thought, the more time, the more effort that goes into planning your matings, I'm, I'm you know, 100% convinced that you, you're, you're guaranteed of a better outcome. If you, if you want to spend, you know, two or three minutes or uh, half an hour, whatever, just flicking through a stain register and, and uh, you know, maybe do a couple of theoretical pedigrees, stuff like that. Um, you know, you're probably not going to get the right sort of outcome as opposed to, you know, going and looking at the stallions, uh, you know, going and talking to people that have bred to that particular stallion, looking at the foals out of that, by that stallion, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, you know, the, 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 look, the more homework you can do, uh, I'm sure 
you, you know, you're guaranteed of a better outcome. And 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 just, I mean, what I to start off the whole thing, what I normally say to people, it's like using a bloodstock agent, a member of the federation, to help with your, your stay in matings and with your bookings. It's a bit like going to a travel agent. Uh, you know, lots of people obviously use travel agents. You you know, you contact a travel agent and you sort of go, well, look, I want to go to to uh, you know America, I want to go to New York, I want to go to Los Angeles, and this is my you know sort of time frame, whatever, whatever, and and then they'll they'll sort of you know they've got that experience, uh, you know, in terms of organising trips for people abroad, and so you know they'll help plan your your trip, and then you know they'll do the bookings, you let them do the you know the flight bookings and you let them do the hotel bookings and any other bookings and then they're paid a commission uh, by the hotel chains or the flight companies uh, for arranging that travel and it's it's the same same with the bloodstock agent I mean we'll you know we'll help plan those matings for you and then we'll book the mares into those stallions for you and then the stud farms will pay the agents a five percent commission uh, once that provided that mare obviously goes into foal and once the service fee is paid, we'll invoice the studs for that 5% commission. And uh, that's how we effectively get paid. So, uh, it's, as I said, it's it's very transparent. But you talk about the stallions and going and seeing the stallions. I think this is something that doesn't often get spoken about. I, I think from the punting public and the racing general racing fan, they just assume that you have a nice mare, you send it to a nice stallion, and then you get a foal that's worth a lot of money. The physical matchup between a mare and a stallion is is just as important as as the genetic matchup that that pedigree on paper, isn't it? It, it is. I mean, you you obviously it's like anything you, you're dealing with Mother Nature, but and you're trying to tweak the odds in your favour all the time. So what you're trying to do, obviously, is with you, you know you you obviously need to have a good understanding of your brood mare to start off with and, and know their strengths and their weaknesses and. And obviously, if that mare's had foals, then you've got an even better understanding of what the mare puts on the ground. And so you're trying to, you know, breed it to a stallion that you, that you want to complement, you know, that mare's strengths uh, or weaknesses. And likewise with that stallion. So if you've been to see that stallion a number of times, or you've seen that stallion's progeny, uh, which a lot of us have seen at the yearling sales or at the weanling sales you know, if they've had runners, et cetera, et cetera, at the races, then then you're in you're better place to act, actually know what, uh, you know, a particular stallion might need uh, when, when you breed a mare to them, whether it's more bone or more strength or or they need least, less of that or the mare needs it or the mare needs the same with good, good leg conformation, you know, et cetera, et cetera. Good temperaments come into it a lot too. So, you know, um, and... All those sort of things that I suppose that, uh, you know, if we've seen the horses and we've seen the stock, which, as I said, a lot of us will have seen, whereas the broodmare owners probably don't get that same sort of exposure that an agent might get going to all the yearling sales around Australia and New Zealand, going to all the stallion parades or not even just going to the stallion parades. I mean, I've been to up to the Hunter Valley Farms already a couple of times this year to look at, the you know, the first season horses and... Uh, you know, obviously, a lot of the mare owners interstate, even in, people in Sydney, wouldn't have had that, um, you know, luxury at this at this point in time. So, you know, all that sort of stuff uh, comes into play. 
Adrian, there's been a bit of a conversation in in Victoria through the racing media here in the last week or so about uh, the breeding industry and perhaps it's it's too commercially focused. People are breeding for the sales ring rather than breeding for the racetrack. But surely it's one and the same. If you're breeding a racehorse you you want to sell, your end goal is that 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 horse will go and and win races. Yeah, that's um, that's right, Mick. I think. Um uh, yeah, what you're breeding is an athlete. You're trying to breed it. And I agree with uh, what Brett has said. Um, from my point of view and my clients, um, physical attributes of the mare is, is, is the major concern when you're mating to a stallion. Um, yes, you, if you're breeding to sell, uh, you have to take some consideration into what stallions you go to and which farms they stand at, etc., and and uh, the marketing ability of those. But the bottom line is you're trying to breed a really nice foal and um, you want to improve on the mare and all the stallion and uh, you, you make all, all, all your research and all your, all your intel uh, goes towards that. And um, that involves looking at them and knowing the market and knowing, knowing what the mare's progeny or the family traits are of certain families. Um, so yeah, it's a it's a it's a big web of um, from different angles, but I think then bottom line is yeah, you're trying to breed a runner. I love Frankel. I was in love with him as a racehorse. I followed him when he went off to stud, and as his first foals began to arrive in the northern hemisphere, I followed that story, and it was almost like immediately there was this apprehension around the, the stallion because he left them all shapes and sizes. There wasn't a a set colour, there wasn't a set type, and the market seemed to say, whoa, what's going on here? This isn't what we expected from a stallion. Years later, he's producing Group 1 winners and he looks like he's been a commercial success and a very good stallion, which is great. How important, when you're looking at a stallion, is that ability to leave something true to type? Or how do you assess an, a first-season stallion when their progeny hit the ground? Where, where, when do you start getting confident about that sort of horse? Um, well, you can throw in Snitzel as well, if you like. I, I don't think he yeah. throws type. They're all over the place. Um, been champion sire four times, four years in a row. Um, look, a lot of people like to see a dominant stallion, the dominant colour. The colour is a different gene altogether. It's a different allele. It has no effect on their ability. Um, a bay stallion, if he's got a chestnut mother, he can't help but throw chestnuts because he'll carry a chestnut allele. So colour is not, in my mind, um, a focus. Um, I think you can see certain types, like horse like So You Think. You can see a yearling walking around and follow. You think, oh, that's by So You Think. You know, he's dominant like a good bull or a good whatever. You're breeding. Um, they're a dominant They're a dominant stallion. And... Um, a lot of stallions, good stallions, can upgrade mares regardless of the quality. So I think colour and type, um, and you, you, you mentioned Frankel, and I haven't seen a lot of them, but they're obviously all shapes and sizes and big and small, and um, and uh, it doesn't matter. He can, uh, He's obviously got the ability to, to produce um, fast athletic horses. When do you start to gather your information about certain stallions and, and the feedback. Obviously, their foals arrive and you, you go and see them and you make assessments on that. But do you have to wait until those horses get to the racetrack before you start forming commercial views about a stallion? Uh, 
No, absolutely not. I mean, you, you, I mean, pretty much you, you form commercial views from from the time that they're announced to go to stud. Uh, I mean, in terms of like, there's a number of stallions already first season horses this year that that have been very well received by the by the broodmare owners. And I mean, again, that's straight off the bat from you know those horses that are well received and and are booked out almost instantly. Uh, you know, straight off the bat, you know that those people, or those, sorry, those horses uh, are, let's say, to paraphrase, sort of call them market darlings from the mm-hmm. from the word go, and and so, and you, and you looked at yeah, you know, and you're looking at things like you know what breeders are supporting those horses as well, or what breeders bought shares in those those stallions, uh, and and the quality of mares that they're, they're likely to receive. So you're sort of following them from the from the time that they're first announced when they go to stud, and then obviously, um, you know, you, you go and look at them. You know, if you haven't seen them at the races, you go and look at them a number of times. You know, over the next year or so, and then and then you then the foals start hitting the ground, and and obviously you, you know, you, if you're able to go and see some of the progeny, you'll go and see some of the progeny, and then you know, people like self and Adrian and a lot of agents. You know, we're talking to stud masters all the time we're talking to other other breeders and we're saying oh have you seen it you know have you got any foals by these particular stallions and and you're getting feedback from 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 you know a number of other people as well on the on the quality of the foals that they're you know those stallions are putting on the ground uh whether that be you know positive feedback or negative feedback but it's it's feedback we're getting all the time on these various you know new stallions that are going to start and then we're going to the weanling sales and looking at them uh, first crop at the weanling sales and and making judgments there. And then obviously again come the yielding sale times. I mean Adrian and myself again, all the members of the federation pretty are very active at the yielding sales. So we're you know we're seeing you know sometimes fifty to hundred you know uh, yearlings from a uh, and more by the, these first crop stallions at the sales. So we're able to form pretty solid. Uh, you know, judgments on on you know what what they're putting on the ground, and then based on that, again, we're able to you know recommend or not recommend those stallions. I mean, fourth season, there's a lot of horses in their fourth season, you know, where whereby you know it is a risky time, but if to breed to them because it's a make or break, if you're either going to be a sort of hero or or it's going to be zero. But you know, based on that, on that judgment, on that knowledge, on that intel, you can hopefully uh, guide the clients in the right direction. Yeah, I think, um, like, like Brett says, we we attend agents work very hard to do these matings, and I call it product knowledge. Um, I mean, I'm used to. I'm just thinking then when Brett was talking, capitalist. Well, he's the he's the hot star at the moment. He was a really really nice yearling. I mean, he was a really good sort, and. Um, and uh, the good judges bought him, not for big money, probably wasn't that fashionable at the time, his sire, written tycoon. Um, so you look at capitalists and you think, well, if he was like that, you'd expect him to perhaps throw yearlings like that. Another horse like Vancouver, Golden Slipper winner, just the same. He was a backward yearling in my eyes, um, leggy, um, immature type of horse to me. Uh, Gay saw through that and Adrian and... Um, 
turn out to be a golden slipper winner. Now you look at his yearlings and they're probably a bit the same. And so that sort of knowledge, uh, that's just using two in my eyes. Um, and the same with the fillies. I try and look at every filly in the, in the yearling catalogue because they're going to be broodmares one day. So you know what they're going to be like as mares and what they might throw. So that's how far back it goes. Uh, even, you know, uh, foals, you go wander through paddocks and look at foals and like, like Brett says, the weanling sales, you get an impression um, of certain qualities that you look for or that the stallions might throw or dams throw. So, yeah, there's a, there's a vast array of uh, information and knowledge that goes into, in the end, deciding what mare goes to what stallion. That process and the, the mixture of genetic pedigree analysis and the physical knowledge as well and temperament, everything we've spoken about, I think that's easily understandable for people. I like debunking terminology and explaining terminology, particularly in these podcasts as well. I'll ask you both this question, but has there been a, a mating that you advised on that sort of outperformed what you thought? Obviously, you wouldn't recommend something would work, but was there a particular horse that you've been involved in in the breeding of that you thought, wow, you know, I, I liked it on paper, but gee, it went on and, and won this race or, or surprised me a little bit. Is there anything that sticks out in either of your minds? Um, well, just I guess just recently, a good client of mine, Harry Perks, we, we worked together for a long, long time and um, Dallas Sand is a horse that comes to mind. Um, really, really good horse, as we all know. Um, when Dalakani came to Sam Hayes's Cornerstone stud, um, I thought Harry had the ideal mare for him in a mare called, um, um, she was by a horse called Kitten's Joy. And, um, and Candelar was her name. And Kitten's Joy is by Prado by Sadler's Wells. And the Sadler's Wells blood with Dalakani had been an unbelievably successful cross at the top level. Highly influential, multiple group one winners spread on that cross. So she was physically suitable to him. She was a lovely big scopey man. He was a very neat quality type of horse. So she had what he didn't. He had what she lacked. Um, fortunately, the result was a, a leggy athletic colt that took a bit of time called Dallasan. So that's one that comes to mind for me that has worked using the nicks and physical attributes of each mare. What about you, Brad? Oh, I suppose um, would probably be Invincibella. Uh, so the mother abscond, she she came to our farm off the track, and she was a very big mare, close to seventeen hands, uh, and just yeah, lacked. You know, wasn't wasn't the prettiest mare either. Uh, and lacked, you know, lacked tooth by Galileo, and like a lot of Galileos, lacked a bit of um, bone and a bit of bit of substance. And you know, she was again, she was out of a, a as a beal mare, so lots and lots of um, you know stamina, and uh, you know, yeah, probably lacked a little bit of quality. But anyway, sort of, we recommended to. Um, Andrew and Nilma Grant Taylor, the mayor's owners, first season stay, and for her, and, and it was a punt, and and that was, uh, oh sorry, her first season, 
a staying for her was a staying called I'm Invincible. And because we just sort of, you know, seen a, a number of his foals and they had good quality and good strength and good bone, good confirmation, and and, and just sort of thought, well, at $7,000, which is the service fee, I uh, didn't want to put a big service fee into her because of the, you know, we did we weren't sure what we were going to get, obviously, but uh, it was physically, it would put a bit of bit more zip into her as well. And, uh, you know, it was also a good mating uh, genetically as well, we thought. Uh, we use a guy called Brian Mesner to help us with our matings, do the genetics for us. Uh, you know, we use that as a, as a, as a guide. And Brian's got plenty of experience uh, helping different people over the years. It helps one of um, Adrian's biggest clients. Um, I think he's helping Mill Park still, um, Adrian. Oh, yeah, they, they use Brian. Yeah. yeah. And uh, anyway, yeah, so and the resulting foal, the mayor's first foal was Invincibella, who came out, uh, you know, really well. I mean, she was a good... A, probably bigger than expected, certainly, uh, for a first foal. But obviously she got that from the mare, but she got the strength and the confirmation uh, from, from I'm Invincible. So there was a bit of the mother and a bit of the stallion. And uh, in the perfect world, hopefully that's what you, you know, when you plan these matings, that's what you're hoping for, that you get you get the, the, right, the right end product. And, uh, yeah, so she went to the sales. Uh, Fortunately enough, that year I was actually helping Denise Martin start Thoroughbreds with their yearling selections, and I she was quite keen to buy, and I'm invincible, and I said this is a really nice one. I re- I really like her and can recommend her to you. So Denise, she she did look at her and think she was a, a bit on the tall side, but I said, look, the mother's a, a tall mare, but I, I think she's well balanced for a tall yearling, and anyway, she bought her for one hundred and eighty five thousand, and she went on and she won. Um, a group one and three million dollars in prize money, and they sold it last year for one point three million. So that was a that was a good outcome for all concerned. I love the way that both of those examples you guys just gave. It just shows and brings together all those different parts that we we've spoken about in this episode, and, and you know, and obviously in a best case scenario, but how you think your way through assessing a mare, looking at stallions, genetics. I think it sums it up beautifully. Now I want to pick your, both of your minds here. I just want to name from each of you. I'm, I'm putting you on the spot and I don't mean to put you in a position where you have to add any secrets or anything like that, but first season stallions that we're, we're going to see this coming season on the track for the first time. Has there been a, a horse that has caught your eye with their progeny, how they've sold as yearlings earlier this year, what you've heard from trainers, etc.? Is there a horse for you that you're keeping a particularly close eye on this season? Brett, I'll start with you. Um, yeah, that's easy. Um... So look, the the horse that the horse that's sort of that I'm most bullish on is Hellbent, uh, and it's it's purely because I you know I went to the sales this year and I, and I always try and keep an open mind on on when you're looking at these horses in terms of you know I I, I never went to the sales this year thinking that I wanted to buy you know be involved in buying Hellbents or any particular, um, you know, first season stay and you just, you go and look at them all and then you, and then you assess. And anyway, as it turned out, uh, you know, we help predominantly help staff thoroughbreds with their yearling selections and we've ended up buying three Hellbents 
um, this season, and of course they all get trained by Chris, go to Chris Wallace, so they get every you know conceivable chance. But we saw a lot. I saw a lot of hellbents that that I was very, uh, you know, very taken by, and uh, yeah. So I, I just, I just the thing that I was quite amazed. They looked so much like I'm Invincibles. It's not funny, and it was sort of like looking at if you looked at a line of hellbents, it was like looking at a line of I'm Invincibles, and mm-hmm. and just based on on that, and also possibly even. They, they might even have better temperaments than I'm Invincibles as well because a lot of them just came out of the boxes, you know, walked up and down, did it, everything that was asked of them, put them straight back in the boxes. They behaved themselves brilliantly. So yeah, he would be my, my uh, you know, pick of the, of the uh, you know, four-season stallions this year. Adrian, is there a standout for you? Um, probably not a standout. I, I don't buy you. <laughs> Yearling buyer, um, as Brett, I my my four days more with fillies off the track and brood mares, but I do go and look at all the yearlings, of course, and as part of my job, I, I have to and, and enjoy doing that. Um, I don't know, I've probably been um, ingrained a little bit. I I didn't, I liked what Churchill threw out there, a uh, horse called Churchill. Um, they were um, well grown, great moving horses that I thought generally. Um, they're not on everyone's um, list, I wouldn't have thought, but to me he's got a few boxes ticked um, with pedigree, performance, and um, uh, he's probably not true to type. He's a, he's a big, uh, lovely world put together in my eyes, but he's a big horse for a Galileo. But I like what his yearlings did. I don't expect him to be up running early in Australia. Our two-year-olds at races I think are probably, uh, you know, they're very precocious, but... I'd expect a horse like him um, later in the in the season to be um, coming through with some nice horses. Two good names to keep an eye on. I've written both of them down. I'm very glad we sent a mare to Helbert now after uh, hearing your assessment of that, Brett. So maybe I have to look at Churchill this year. We, Gentlemen, thank you so much for your time. Uh, it's, it's always a privilege to be able to pick the brains of, of two experts in their particular field with as much as experience as, as you both have. So thank you very much for being available to take part in this episode of The Shortlist. Thank you, Mick. Thank you. And of course, if anyone listening would like to get in contact with Brett or with Adrian or with any of the members of the Federation of Bloodstock Agents Australia, head to bloodstockagents.com.au. Do yourself a favour, make use of their expert advice and their wealth of knowledge and experience and you will find yourself in a much better position for it. Thanks for listening.